A very warm welcome to This World Game Changers podcast, where your host, Paul D. Lowe, embraces many crucial conversations that compassionately contribute towards creating a better life and world. Paul's intention is very simple, to help get people's inspirational insights and motivational messages out into the world so others may benefit. Hello, world game changers in the world, wherever you may be. What a different type of podcast this one is. We're titling it Angels with Dirty Faces. And there's going to be a really, really unique slant on this because one of the World Game Changers directing, Kristen Johnson, is going to be asking a very, very good friend of mine and indeed an angel with a dirty face, Gary Clark, a.k.a. Boatsy. So, Gary, firstly, a very warm welcome to you, sir. Right, Paul, how you going? Good, mate. Yeah, very good. And good Kristen, um, I'm just going to hand over to you because I know you've got some really intriguing questions to, to ask both Gary and I. So it's over to you. All right. All right. It's a pleasure to be here with, with both of you um, in this conversation. Uh, just um, having, a, having a couple of pints as a, as a work cup of tea, slice of cake, even though we're not in the same proximity to have either. Aha. <laughs> there you go, Gary. Mm. So I guess the first thing I'd like to ask you is, is about your, about your respective childhoods. And I know that you both have written extensive, uh, quite a bit about that and done podcasts, but one of the things that I've been thinking about is as, as, kids as kids growing up in Nottingham uh, what was it were your earliest memories as kids because I think those things are pretty formative I would, I would say terraced houses and cobbled streets and old, old inner city Nottingham in Slenton where I was born um got my own granddad living on the street next to me uh yeah cobbled streets and terraced houses rows and rows of them in the inner city of Nottingham. Yeah, and I'd, I'd agree with that, and I love that image, uh, Kristen. You know, 1960s, uh, inner city, very rough, tough place, inner city, very, you know, very challenging. We were poor people. Well, I was anyway. I can't speak yeah. about what Gary was, but I, I was very, our family was very poor. You know, I was brought well, up by well, my grandmother and my mother, Um very poor to the point where the rag and bone man used to come round, and you know if you've got any old tatty rags and and whatever you used to kind of chuck out your rags and your old jumpers with holes in i didn't because i used to kind of hide them for football goalposts um but all the rubbish and then you know it might come round. it might give you a goldfish or a cup and saucer you know things like that very poor but very happy happy humble days yeah i'd agree with that paul pretty similar really Remember the coal man come in and sacks of coal, you know, corner shop, you know, a, a treat was getting the getting the sweets, you know, with your pocket money. We didn't have a lot of money. My dad moved up from Cambridge, met my mother, and uh, basically we li we lived off my grandma and granddad on the next street along, really. I think we, we rented, we lived with them for a while before they rented we rented a place around the corner, an old mm -hmm. terrace house. I can remember the um 
the uh, toilets were outside in a brick brick building outside and a bath was an old tin bath in the in the, in the living room in an old tin bath <laughs> um, yeah and, and used to if i'll correct me gary but you used to have the bath on the sunday and i was lucky because i was the only one but if you were part of a family the eldest went yeah. in the bath first and then the next eldest so yeah, if there you, six of yeah. you, you you all had the same water yeah i used to share the same water <laughs> exactly exactly mate and then I, I can always remember my sister being born um I was only five in the terraced house. So, you know, I was born, I was born in that terraced house. And then my sister was born, you know, I was five when she was born. Um, yeah, exactly the same, mate. You know, an old terraced house in the middle of Snenton. So, in the city of Nottingham. And my family didn't have much money. You know, we had, to, we had to rely on my grandma and granddad. My granddad worked for the railways. He was a guard. 50 years, he had a great job. You know, my grandma used to get free, tra free train travel all over the place. So, uh, an holiday was a day out at Skegness. Yeah. Uh, if, with grandma. If, if you was lucky. If you was lucky. lucky yeah. 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 And, and what Gary spoke about there, Kristen, you know, the, the coal man coming around. So, they'd have the coal lorry, but they'd drop one or two cobbles. And as kids, mm. your mum used to give you a tanner at the end of the week if you bought enough cobbles in. And that was a lot of money in those days. A lot of money. Because we were so poor, you know, all the kids used to fight to get as many cobbles as they could. It was amazing. You know, when you think about things like now, having an outside toilet, you know, I speak to young people about this and they think I'm from another planet. That's right. Yeah. Absolutely. Never forget the toilet. Never forget the outside toilet. And it's always freezing as well. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, very humble days, Kristen, very humble days. But you know what, Gary, I'm sure you'll agree with this. You know, there was that sense of family togetherness. It, 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 you know, there's that sense of community that binded you together, wasn't there? That's right. I mean, I, I, with my grandma, I absolutely adored my grandma. She'd always treat me. You know, mum and dad didn't have a lot. And, and my grandma would always treat me. You know, I spent more time around my grandma's around the corner next street along them, uh, my mum and dad's, to be honest with you. You know, I, I was always my grandma's favourite. Obviously, I was first born. But my grandma lost uh, a son at three months old as well. You know, so John, my mum's uh, brother, and we lost him at three months old. So my grandma never really got over that. So I was always her son, really. Mm. Yeah. That uh dovetails into one of my other questions which was what were your grandparents like and it sounds like uh i know that from paul he his his grandmother was just uh absolutely instrumental in his life so it sounds like you guys i i know how i was with my with my grandparents uh, just uh very close especially uh my mom's parents and it it was just um the, the, it's irreplaceable as a as a kid to have that to have those elders in your life and to have that uh, that wisdom and Gary when you talked about being your grandmother's favorite uh, I have to smile because that's just I can just feel the love and the and the affection in there yeah that's right I mean I, I looked at you know she was my world to be honest with you um, I used to call her Super Gran. Uh, even when we moved to a better place, you know, I spent most weekends at my grandma's. They moved to a, a, a better, well, they still lived in Snenton, but they moved to an apartment, which was a bit better. 
uh, facing Notts County's ground, really. You can see at the, at the apartment, you can see the Forest Ground and the, and the Notts County's stadium. And my granddad used to take me to Notts County on a Saturday afternoon. I used to love spending the weekend at my grandma's. I'd rather spend my weekend at my grandma's than at my parents, to be honest with you. Mm. But, you know. Right. Of course, of course, because you got to do whatever you wanted. It, there was a there was that freedom. They were, you know, just it was just very different. Yeah, I, she used to support. I'll be honest with you, Grandma and Granddad used to support me, and I still love going down to Medellin on a Saturday afternoon with Granddad. You know, and Granddad was a big football fan, so I, you know, I, I'd get the bus on me on my own at six or seven over across the city. Spend the weekend with my grandma and granddad. I used to love it. You know, that was, that was my world at that time. And and just building, Christian, on what Gary said there. I mean, my mother was one of three sisters, and I was the only one in my family. Uh, apparently, my mother had a, a girl before um, before me, and she died at early age. Kim was the name, so uh, you know, I would have had a sister, but I didn't. But my uh, my cousins totaled thirteen. So there was an eight from one of the sisters and a five. You know, in those days, we used to joke, oh, you haven't got a telly. And that's why there were so many kids. And certainly where I come from, there was a large Irish population, um, you know, uh, big families. That was the norm. You know, that's right. That was that was the way. But certainly in my own what Gary's speaking about there, about being his grandma's favourite. So was I. And it created so much resentment amongst my cousins that we was always in fights, even with the girls. In fact, I used to fear fighting the girls more than I did the boys because the boys were straight fighting, punching with the girls. You never knew what they'd do next. They'd pick a shoe. Right, it, caused, it did cause a lot of jealousy, didn't it? Uh, yeah. My, my, my grandma was one of one of nine sisters, you know, so wow. there was a massive family, you know, and uh, like it did cause resentment later on sort of thing when I started growing up a bit because we... I was always my grandma's favourite. It did cause resentment. It, caused, it did cause resentment with my dad as well, to be honest with you, because I was, mm. you know, and, you know, and my granddad as well, you know, because, you know, later on in life, when I was growing up as a teenager, I, I was just, my grandma just looked after me all the time and, and my granddad started to resent it, really. You know what I mean? Same with my sister. When she came into the world, when she grew up a bit, I was always the favourite and my grandma used to spoil me rotten. You know what I mean? So it did cause resentment and jealousy. No. I bet it did. And it's it's just, uh, you think that there's more than enough love around, but I know that sibling rivalry is something that everybody has to deal with. It doesn't matter where no. you come from, how much you have. Uh, it's just something that we all have to deal with growing up. That's right. And be honest with you, like Paul would say, me, we, wouldn't, we didn't understand that at that time. You know, it's only later on in life that we under, you, you, you understand. You understood it then. You know what I mean? You, at the time, you, you didn't know. You, you you wouldn't see it. You know what I mean? Right. Absolutely. And you can become better friends when you're growing up. Uh, after you've grown up and you get older, things get hopefully get smoothed out and and so on. And you, and it's my mother all often. To often said to my sister and me that, um, you know, no one else, we are closer than anyone else in our family because no one else has our exact, exact DNA. And that's really, really powerful. Uh, but so it's, it's definitely a, it's definitely a bond, but uh, getting back to grandparents, there's, 
I don't know. There's just the wisdom of the elders. I think we are maybe losing something. Do either of you think that uh, kids today really understand, you know, the wisdom of that elders maybe don't have that in their life the way that you do? I'm I, obviously I don't want to speak for everybody, but do you no. think it's a generational thing? I think I think kids it's, it's far too easy for kids these days. I take everything for granted. I think a bit more. You know what I mean? Uh, it's not like it was back in the day. Like you know, people that have money, like Paul said, within the families didn't have too much money in them days. But these days, I think things come far too easy these days. I mean, I know my grandma spoiled me. You know what I mean? Um, but these days, the kids get everything they want straight away, don't they? You know what I mean? They do, Gary, but I think also that's not the kids' fault. You know, they've been born into no, a generation fault, fault, that, no. where the goalposts have moved. I mean, I think you and I, from our particular age group, we're the kind of last line of that particular culture because when things started getting into the 70s and started getting more liberal, particularly within schools and more relaxed, you know, was that due to the hippie movement, free love of the 60s? I don't know. That's another conversation altogether. But, you know, I look at, you know, young people today and I have loads of conversations with them around the world, as you know. You know, they've been born into a culture that actually is probably not their fault. They're dealing just as we was in our day, in our day Gary, but with a different set of circumstances. They're making the best of what they can, I think. And that's 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 something that stood the test of time, whether we go back hundreds of years or, you know, even today. You know, we adapt, don't we, as kids, to try and make the best as we can. Yeah, yeah, of course you do, mate. Yeah, yeah. Well, let me ask you, uh, what what were some of the, some of the uh, challenges other than, you know, the poverty and things like that and growing up in the in the inner city uh, that you all had growing up that kids really, really don't have today. I mean, I, I think they have different challenges today. Uh, what with, we just got through two years of the pandemic and kids uh, not being able to go to school and things like that. And just all the things that are going on. And of course there's the global inflation and, and lots of problems, uh, political divides in different countries don't yeah don't even get me started on that but I, I think maybe there was there were different challenges when you guys were growing up yeah yeah I, I was listening to the radio today and kids are falling behind at school um a lot of kids they never had so many kids that need extra help at school these days because they miss they miss the year of school because of the pandemic so they're, they're all playing catch-up and there's that many kids who said on the radio now wanting extra extra lessons and extra, you know, reading and writing and they missed out on, on all the school. But I can remember school being happy in the inner city. It was a happy place. You know, I mm. quite enjoyed going to school in the inner city, uh, primary, uh, infant school and that. You know what I mean? And these days, these kids now, like my son now, they've, they've missed out of nearly a year's schooling, haven't they? And they're playing catch-up and uh, it's affecting their... Uh, it's going to affect them in, in the long term. We said it on the radio today in Nottingham. Mm -hmm. uh, here too, here here in the United States too. Yeah, well, all over the world, really. I think it affects everyone all over the world. Uh, to speak to your question, Kristen, what you ask around, you know, the biggest challenge, and if we can kind of, Gary, from our point of view, sealing this off 
to the age when we got to about 14. I mean, obviously, I'm a little bit older than you. So my I reached 14 before you did. But if we can use that as a cutoff before we then go on to a next chapter, because for me, that's significant. Um, and I don't think Gary went through this because I think, you know, despite as the commonality that we had, apart from love of football, um, was the fact that we was very, very poor. But I was introduced to something at the age of eight called violence. And from eight to 14, my violence was extreme at the hands of my stepfather. That's where I understood. Uh, well, actually, I didn't understand, but I become embroiled in violence, sickening violence at the hands of my stepdad. And to the point when, you know, I gave, and we'll talk more about this in another chapter as well, but I gave my belief system, you know, we all need something to believe in. And for me, it was Nottingham Forest Football Club. And as I say, I know we'll speak more about that in future chapters, because Gary and I, I think it's fair to say, we have reputations for being Reds, Forest boys. So, um, but that's another chapter, another story, as I keep saying. But from that age, Kristen, of eight to 14, my world was one of extreme violence, torture, degradation, abuse. It, it was horrific. And that put me, that set the tone really for the rest, well, it's not the rest of my life, but many, many, many years to follow. Mm. Uh, that had to be really, really difficult. I mean, I, I never had it. Obviously, my proper dad brought me up. I don't like to say too much. My dad's still alive, but I, I had a tough upbringing with my dad. Uh, he worked long hours. My mum was working shifts. My mum was never at home. And me and my sister, this, we're talking into our teenage years here now. We didn't, we didn't come home from school. We didn't want to come home from school. We were more afraid of our dad. You know, I don't know what it was. Uh, he was stressed out all the time, working long hours, and he used to take it out on me and my sister, you know, and uh, we felt the back of his hand many a time. Uh, and that's how, well, I think that's how it was. I think that's how it was in them days, to be honest with you. I'm not just mm. blaming my dad. I think it was across the board, you know. Oh, was yeah. very that. What, what, what did your mum used to say? You know, not just in your house. I wasn't there. I wasn't there. Yeah. there. She was working at Port Farms, working shifts. She's gone at two o'clock in the afternoon while I was at school and never used to come home until half past nine at night and we was already in bed. So we never saw any of this. But what you, what used to happen, not just, well, not in my family, just but in families, that, that saying that mothers used to say to the kids, particularly the lads, right, wait till your dad gets home. You're in for it. And that was enough because mm. the old man, used to not, you know, from the kids that I grew up with, used to say very few words. But that threat from your mother, right, wait till your dad gets in. I'm going to tell him all about this. And you were terrified. Your dad didn't have to do it. Just raise his voice. I didn't have a dad. But I'm, I saw this with my mates in being involved in their families and that threat. I know what you're, I know what you're saying, but um, we idolised our mother and we, you know, we couldn't wait for our mother to get home and like you say, I didn't really see much of me always during the day and all week, really, because I was in bed. So I just got home from work and I only seen her in the morning before I went to school. And uh, basically, you know, we, we we clung on to our mother, really. We rather shouldn't really say too much because, uh, you know, my dad's not very well at the moment. Uh, but, um, you know, we was terrified of our dad anyway. So, you know, we, we used to cling on to our mother. We wanted our mother to be there more. 
you know, we missed our mother, really. She worked all these hours, you know, and we, we missed her during our childhood, really, you know what I mean? Uh, she didn't have to say anything. We was just terrified of our dad anyway, to be honest with me. My sister will back me up on this one. Mm. Uh, I want to share something, Gary, with you. Um, and this is, as I say, in another chapter, we'll dive into football and we'll dive into particularly Nottingham Forest. But I just want to share it with this one. Can you remember a player called Tommy Jackson? No, I can't, actually, no. no. Irish international, played number 11 for Forest, um, early 70s. Anyway, so I was at, I was at a grammar school, um, an all-boys grammar school, started in 1971 as an 11-year-old. And I went three years where one of the teachers actually thought my name was Tommy Jackson because I was hardly ever at school. Because yeah. of my, my home life, I spent most of my time on the streets with a, with a football, either with a girl or a football. <laughs> that was my life. And yeah. anyway, this one particular day, I went into, it was an RE, religious education session, and I can remember the uh, the master. We used to call them masters. This is a very traditional all boys grammar school uh, in the middle of Bestwood, up on the hill there, Gainsford Crescent. It's not there now. And I'm in this particular in this uh, RE lesson, and the the deputy head John Billington came in, and they spoke very formal. It was like the old military. They all wear gowns, and as he was walking down the corridor, you couldn't make eye contact with the master. You had to bow your head, always address them as sir, speak when spoken to, and all that kind of thing. What was going off in my home world, I was absolutely a rebel. So I went in Levi jeans, I went in Doc Martins, and I'm in the class the one day, and John Billington, the deputy head, came in and said to Mr Hamer, I've come for low to take him into detention for misbehaving and fighting. So Tommy Hamer, who was an old war veteran, and he said, I think you're mistaken, sir. We've got no boy called Low in this class. Yes, you have, sir. That's him over there. No, you're mistaken, sir. His name is Tommy Jackson. Well, you <laughs> can imagine all my mates, they just burst out laughing because this joke had been going on for three years. And the RE teacher, Tommy, um, <laughs> Mr. Hamer, thought my name was Tommy Jackson. When John Billington, the deputy head, you can imagine, I was waltzed down to his office. They talk about six of the best. I don't know how many beatings I got from the cane and the slipper and the strap in his office that day. If, 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 if anybody in school did that nowadays, they'd be sacked and they'd probably be imprisoned. I'm sure they would be. Uh, and, you know, it's, uh, it's definitely a change change of culture i mean the discipline we can talk about discipline and what oh, what's lacking and what's not and what's the the changing but everything yeah the the caning uh i don't know about that that's kind of uh, that's definitely definitely a little extreme but for sure yeah i got the cane several times as a secondary school you know that's to go in the headmaster's office and got the cane, got whips, got again whip round the arse. You know what I mean? Unbelievable. Oh. So, <laughs> yeah, oh, definitely, definitely glad we, definitely glad we no longer do that. Well, yeah, it's the same, same with your parents, isn't it? You, you know, you like. I mean, as many a time I, I got slipper off my dad and back of his hands. You know what I mean? You know, cowering in the in the hallway, 
it's good to me room crying, that's stopping me room. You know, you can't do you know, if it's unheard of these days, isn't it? You know what I mean? You can't do it. Same in school, you can't can't whip a child in school, you know what I mean? Absolutely right. not. That would be absolutely that would I'm no. sure some I'm sure some of these teachers used to enjoy it, you know what I mean? So Yeah. Uh yeah, I, I mean, you know, we're, we're teachers are well, 13 and you're getting whipped by a teacher in, in a room. You know what I mean? It's not right, is it? You know? No. What, whatever you've done. Definitely not. Definitely not. That is, that is, that is beyond the pale. And again, you can talk about need for discipline in schools and certainly there's, there's that, but no, definitely that's, that's beyond the pale. And thank God we've gotten beyond that. Yeah. And I'll tell you another thing that's absolutely unthinkable that did happen, certainly in my school days, is sitting in the corner with a D hat on. You can imagine, oh, yeah. you know, with a D for dunce. You imagine doing no that way. to a child oh, now. Yeah there's, many, yeah, there's many times you had to go and stand in the corner of the classroom, weren't there, with your hands on yeah. your head, looking at the wall. Yeah. You know, it's humiliating, isn't it? Yeah. You know, things like that. Little thing, you know, Paul, exactly. You know, only five years older, six years older than me, or whatever, five years older. But the same thing happened throughout the seventies, didn't it? Yeah. You know, you know, it's 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 unhuman, isn't it? Yeah, it is. It's absolutely. Yeah, but at the end of the day, Gary, you I know you and I, you know, despite the kind of little bit of an age difference there, it was what we was used to. It's the way things were then. I mean, I think it's so easy yeah. to look back and say, well, you know, it was wrong, blah blah blah. A modern day society, it is wrong. And it was probably wrong then, but we didn't know Absolutely. any other. We didn't know any you didn't other. Know different. You didn't know any different, did you? You didn't yeah. know any different. So, you know, but obviously things have changed for the for the good, you know. So you, you won't tell you any difference at that age. No. Mm. Well, my Irish grandmother, my my uh, my my grandmother, who was of Irish descent, she used to talk about um, getting getting her hand smacked because she wrote with the wrong hand. You know, you were supposed to write with particular hand. If you wrote with your other hand, you know, you got you got smacked with the ruler. That was wrong. Yeah, yeah. So, it. I mean, the the violence is definitely something that. Um, at home that I think um, is, is very, is, is a very difficult, difficult concept. Uh, we don't really like to talk about it, but I think it's, no, it, it, it goes on. I've come out about stuff about, about my father and stuff. You know, I would never talk about this. It's only in recent years, you know, um, I've been having a lot of difficulty in recent, over the last couple of years. And obviously, what's happening with my dad at the moment, but uh, my sister's been home from America recently and she spoke open about it. And we've got my me, me dad's sister, who's a year older than my father, living with us at the moment. Uh, my mm-hmm. dad's a bit of a, a few mental problems at the moment. He's in hospital at the moment. Uh, mm. and I mean, I spoke to me, my auntie at length. I'm, I'm staying here at the moment while my dad's in hospital, so keep my auntie uh, company. I've actually uh, come out with where my dad was when I and she said, really, you know, it's all kept under 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 wraps. I never spoke about it till recently. You know what I mean? What my dad used to get up to, you know what I mean? So, but I don't blame him wholeheartedly. I think he was under a lot of pressure. People didn't have money. He was working all hours. You know, first house, you know, threat of losing the house, first mortgage. 
you know, it must have been under extreme pressure, you know. So, but, um, you know, I've only just spoke to my auntie last week or so about how my dad was with me and my sister, and she can't get her head around it, she can't believe it. But, you know, because he's in hospital at the moment and going under a bit of a mental breakdown, I've actually, I've actually mm. come out of it, you know what I mean? Uh, yeah, that's that's uh, uh, very difficult for your family. I mean, no matter what that was like in your childhood, you know, it's it's oh, it was, it, uh, yeah, it was horrible. It was horrible. It, it was it was torture to be honest with you. I mean, I'd stay out as long as I could, playing football all day long with my mates after school. I didn't want to go home. You know what I mean? I, I dreaded going home. I tried to stay out as long as I could from when my mum got home. You know what I mean? But uh, if I if I was in late, you know, you knew you were going to get a bloody slap around the arse or, you know, a slipper or something. Yeah. Mm. That is, uh, and how many people, kids are dealing with that, you know, as we speak? I think the awareness is 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 more there of what's of what some. Yeah. Kids yeah, are dealing with mental health. It's, it's more, it's more out in the open, isn't it? Because you know, mental health. We, we didn't have any mental health problems a few years ago, did we? You know, in the workplace. But now, the company I work for, Mark Oakfield Construction. You know, when I first started there, nobody was bothered about mental health. You know, you'd have problems at work. You'd expect it to go to work. No excuse. You can't be off. You know, because you're feeling down or anything. But these days, people look at it different. You know what I mean? And mental health's a big thing in Britain, or probably is in America as well. You know. Yes. I don't think I don't think that it, that growing up in the when when you both grew up till the age of fourteen that anybody really talked much about it, did they? No, no, they didn't. No, nobody spoke about it. You know what I mean? Nobody grasped it, did they? And mm -hmm. that and that speaks to something that I was certainly brought up as a kid is like big boys don't cry. If you cry, I'll give right. you something to cry for. So mm -hmm. uh, you know. You, as, as, a, as a lad, you didn't cry. Even if you no, was involved in a right. fight and you got a beating, no. you didn't cry. No. You didn't, because no. it was seen as weakness. That's right. That's right. I went to uh, Buxton at the weekend with Murpha, with his schoolmates, who I sort of hang around with again now. Obviously, when we left school, they've never been in trouble with the law. And I went down the wrong road, football violence and everything. And I think, I don't know whether that's the reason, because I'd... But anyway, I saw him at the weekend. We had a good day out. I go out with him quite often now, Jitsu, you know, Paul. Mm. And was talking about stuff and, um, you know, and, and, and we was like football kids at school. We, we, were mid, we were middle of the road, middle class, probably middle. We weren't top classes. We weren't that greatly intelligent. We was middle. We weren't in the bottom form. But the bottom form seemed to be the bullies. And I was talking about it. I, the times I had to go out in the woods, there's woods next to farmers' school. The times I had to go out into the woods because the bullies wanted to fight. And I, and, and I had to go out there. The old school, they got around the school saying there's a fight after school, four, four o'clock in the woods, so-and-so's taking so-and-so on. And um, I had about three or four fights in front of 400 classmates, you know, in the woods, you know, and, and at the chip shop at lunchtime, the bullies had come looking for you, you know what I mean? And, and I, at times I had to stick up for myself. And I was on about this on Saturday in Buxton. I said, to be honest with you, I didn't lose a fight. You know, I'm not being big headed. Wow. It was a fight because I stuck up for myself, Paul. And I think, like you say, big boys didn't cry. So, you know, I stuck up for myself. I started to get a bit of a reputation. I thought, hang about, I can handle myself. I'm not bowing down to the bullies. You know what I mean? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Right. And the other thing, the other thing, 
Christian, of note on that is when we did have them fights, there were no blades. There was no, you know, there was no, no weapons. Was fish fish no guns. No, no guns, no guns, no knives. It was just a good old-fashioned punch-up. You know, if somebody went down on the floor, they had enough. That was it, end of the fight. You know, they pick you up and that's it, get on. You got blood, you know, go home and clean yourself up. You know, but don't cry, like Paul says. You don't show emotion. You know, if you lost, you lost. But you had boundaries. I mean, you didn't You didn't have, uh, this was obviously before video, but you didn't have these kids uh, filming these fights and posting it to YouTube for, you well, know, likes. What and, they do nowadays, and- I know it's some of the uh, horror videos you watch nowadays about bullies at schools, people picking on people. It's absolutely horrendous, isn't it? But it went on in them days, didn't it? But obviously, there was no video evidence or there was no evidence. And it was like your word against their, your, their word with the teachers. You know what I mean? So you had to go and settle it. Settle, you know, you settle it out with, with fisticuffs. You know what I mean? No. I will say one thing humorously around that old conditioning of big boys don't cry. And I know you can identify with this, Gary. It stood us in good stead for being forest supporters in later years. The bloody heartbreak <laughs> that we went through. <laughs> yeah. Um, what was it the first like for both of you? The first time you kicked a picked up a cricket bat or kicked a ball on football pitch. I mean, that had to be a kind of an outlet to whatever was going on at home. Yeah, we just used to love playing sports, and um, you know that that was the that was the outlet. Outlet. You know, I was quite good at football at school. Played for the football team. Um, that that was the uh, to get out of the way of all this, you know, playing sports at school. Used to love it, you know. We were talking about this at the weekend with my schoolmates. We was we was all in the same football team. We had a good football side, and um, that that was a that was a relief. That was that was getting out of all this nonsense with the bullies and and the fights at school. You know, used to love playing for the school football team and school cricket team because we was all good sportsmen. All my, my mates at school were quite good sportsmen. And that, we was like this sort of in crowd, you know, it was good at sport. So we stayed out of the way of the bullies, you know what I mean, as well. That was our release. That was our way of keeping out of the way. Well, don't a lot of kids do that as, uh, I mean, they join sports or they become class clown or whatever to to, to resist, kind of resist that uh, harassment and the bullying and sort of just socially fit in? Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, you know, you're decent at sport. You know, you get into the football team or the cricket team. um, You know, then you get a bit of a reputation to be a good sportsman. You know, and people start to look up, look up, look up at you. Then, don't they? You know what I mean? That's a way of getting out of it as well. You're right. Mm. You know, I wasn't great, great academically at school. You know what I mean? I was average. You know, but um, you had people that were very clever. They didn't. You know, it's very rare you got somebody that was great at sport and very clever as well, to be honest with you. You know what I mean? So, yeah, no, also, uh, uh, nowadays they have all star academics and athletes, and they have this whole thing about, um, you you know, you have to have a GPA and degrees and everything. It's it's still changed, hasn't it, really, from the 70s and 60s? You get all these sports degrees and diplomas and sport. I think it happened big in America for Britain to be honest with you didn't it you know Probably. people who are good at sport in, in Britain go over to America for scholarships and everything so it's all changed hasn't it since our day absolutely yeah. definitely cottage industry for sure it's certainly yeah. a different no pun intended but it's certainly a different ball game because I think you know 
certainly when we talk about football and look back, you know, kids were hungry in those days. Kids were really <laughs> hungry. And I can remember for many years, even as a youngster before the age of, you know, a real youngster before the age of eight, when things dramatically changed for me then, when my mother remarried, this, the, you know, the beast, as I called him. Um, but, <clears> you know, <throat> there was that desire, you know, although it was poor, there was me, my grandma, and we had a little little dog called Rocky. And me and Rocky, he was the defender because all he wanted to do was chase the ball and get his teeth into it and pop it. So <laughs> I was the attacker on the backyard where we lived on Laybourne Drive. And my job was to put the ball what I thought was the net because we had the clothesline and we had the edge. And so I'd be yeah. dribbling round and Rocky would be, you know, he, he was my world. Rocky was my world. And um, he just wanted to get his teeth. So he was the defender and I was the attacker. But, you know, even simple things like that, creatively making his own fun. And sometimes when yeah, I didn't have a ball, I had a tin can. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We, we'd, we'd spray a goalpost on a brick wall, mm. you know, or you'd have your jackets, wouldn't you, as, as goalposts. You know, you make your own fun, even in the street. You'd play football in the street. You'd, you'd make, you know, your shirts as goalposts. Or, you you know, you on a brick wall, you'd spray a goal. You know, you, you, you'd play on your own, wouldn't you? Kicking a football on your own. Yeah. And endless hours. My, he, goes up, he goes up playing on the, on the, in the school holidays, playing football on his own, practising his shooting. You know, even if he's got no one to play with, fair play to him. He's, he's just determined to make himself as, as good as possible at football. He practises like David Beckham did. He practises yeah. hours and hours and on end. That's yeah. good. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, and it's interesting how football, Gary, you know, at that very, very early age, gave us a sense of identity. And I think identity is something that, we, you know, we'll really speak to, Kristen, in Chapter 2. That's a separate thing and a whole new thing, because that's where, you know, Gary's world started opening up into, you know, the gang culture. Mine took a different path. I was always a loner because of the violence I'd been taught on a one-to-one -one at the hands of my stepdad. My violence took a different path. Because I was a very, very, very angry young man. Well, don't you think that uh, with with uh, that kind of uh, that kind of domestic violence or abuse, the kids pretty the the kids that go through that, at least as I understand it psychologically, from what I've read and things I've seen uh, on television, don't they keep to themselves? I mean, isn't that kind of you don't want anyone to know. Yeah, you probably hit some. I mean, I've never deeply thought about it, but, uh, you know, was the shame, was the guilt? I don't know. I don't think so. But, um, you know, somehow, I mean, I still think even now, naturally, I am that, and people find this very hard to believe, but that, that very quiet loner, that's who I naturally am. And people really, I mean, it's making, you know, you know me quite well, Kristen, it's made you smile. But that is the reality because I prefer that silence and that solitude. Or the people that are around are the people I deeply trust. You know, I room with Gary when right. we go away. It's great because I trust him. Perfect. And I've got a lot of respect I, I can see for that. him. You know, there's a lot of synergy between us, not just because of mm -hmm. our upbringing and the fact that we're both, you know, forest boys and all that kind of stuff. There's a natural, just a natural connection between us. And, I've, you know, by my own choice... I've got very few people in my life like that. And that is my choice because I don't want to do the gangs. I don't want to do the big numbers. Yeah, I'm the same. I'm the same now, Paul. Uh, I've done the gangs. I've done the big numbers. I've got me, I've got me close friends, you know, close to me now. I don't like being in groups. I, 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 you know, I've got a handful of friends, 
that I, 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 I knock around with. I don't, I don't like to see any, I don't like gangs. I don't like packed pubs, to be honest with you. I prefer my own close friends and, you know, I don't like going walking around in big gangs anyway, you know. You know, I've got my personal friends I've got known for years and like, I've done all the gang, the gangs, going to football and everything and I don't like it. I don't like being in a big crowd. Exactly the same. Mm. I can, I hear that. Mm. Mm. Any further questions, Kristen, as we look to, to wrap this first chapter up or maybe it's time to hand over to Gary to sum up with, you know, any thoughts you have, Gary, about, let's say, the first 14 years, any memorable moments or... Happy moments, yeah, I, sad I, moments. I, I, I mean, I went off the ropes at 15, 16, as soon as I left school. And, uh, you know, I did get bullied at school, you know, and I stuck up for myself. And I, I, don't, I don't know, I'm, I'm not making excuses, but I went down the wrong side of the law. And uh, I don't know whether it had a psychological effect on me that I came out of school, I thought nobody's going to, I'm not going to take any shite anymore off anybody, you know, and I'm going to stick up for myself. Somebody says something to me and then, you know, I don't know, perhaps psychologically had an effect on me. You know mm. what I mean? Mm. And, you know, obviously the title of this, and, and we're going to, you know, this is part of the um, the sizzler and the, the, the content for the book that we're going to co-produce, Gary, we're going to co-author, you know, and we both know that there's one thing in there that we're going to share in the book that we're not going to share on the podcast. So, you know, listeners, that's up to you to keep listening. But there's something that's going to be put on the table by me, that's not been shared on, you know, before and that's going to be in the book and there's something by Gary, but we'll keep our powder dry on that. Um, but I suppose, Gary, when when you look back on it all, just by way of closing this first chapter out, you know, any regrets looking back? Not not, not really, not too much. I mean, I, I did a, uh, a documentary recently. It's just coming out on Channel 4 at the moment. It's been here at the moment. And, and I didn't see last night, but I did tell him, I said, I didn't have too many regrets. I just, um, some of the things I did was wrong. We know it was wrong, but we got caught up and we got swept away by, by the uh, euphoria of the football and the clothes and the music and, and the fashion at the time. And it was a British subculture. Not making excuses. We all know it was wrong. We shouldn't have been fighting at football. But I want to met the people I met these days if I hadn't gone the path I'd led. You know, I met some great people through football and travelling, mm. you know, so... And then my mates to this day, I've got friends all over the world. If I hadn't gone the path I did, I wouldn't be the man I am today. You know what yeah. I mean? And we'll dive more into that, Gary, in Chapter 2. So, Kristen, you know Chapter 2 is going to be about identity. What Gary's just done there is set up Chapter 2 quite nicely. We'll be diving into that, as I say, around identity. Who am I? Because certainly as young men growing up and, and, you know, youths growing up in the in the 60s and 70s, I was certainly very confused. And I think it was a time of transition in society, you know, the, the swing in 60s, the hippies. And there was, you know, this kind of glam rock coming in and football was magical. Mm -hmm. There was this massive change taking place. That's right. And, and, and Britain was a violent place at the time coming out of school. Britain was a violent place. You know, there was mass unemployment. It was hard to get a job. There was a lot of depression going around. And it, uh, Britain was in, um, you know, a change. Uh, there was a minor strikes. There was no work around. And you had nothing to do at the weekend. And they attached themselves to, I don't know, sporting events, football and stuff like that. It was a way of getting out of the uh, doldrums and, and being a bit of a, getting your own identity, really. You know what I mean? 
Mm. Very much so. Christian, final thoughts to you really around, you know, how this sounds to you, because obviously there's so much diversity. Very easy for two old sweats like me and Gary to talk about the good old days, similar age, love of Nottingham Forest, love of Nottingham. But you as an American lady, you know, with a little bit of an age difference as well, how does this sound to you? culturally or, or any respect, really? Well, I two things come up for me. One, you guys, you guys are very honest about, uh, they, you said big boys don't cry, but you've been very honest and candid about uh, your troubles, about your struggles and things like that. And I think that comes off as very real. And I, and it's something that I, that I, I, I feel for you guys. And I also think that some of what's going on now, I mean, not to say that the 1960s and 1970s weren't turbulent, but I think something with what's going on now with the massive inflation and the crime rising around the world, um, it, certainly here in the U.S., it's become a big theme, a uh, big problem. It's uh, It sounds as if some of the same issues are, are coming up. Uh, we teased today's youth it sounds like we're living in similar times and nothing there's nothing new under the sun in in certain respects like we said there have been massive changes before but and i think that your experiences are something that um that people can that many people can relate to and certainly there are things that uh will open many people's eyes because maybe they have no concept of of what it was like to like to go through that so from from my perspective i i completely i totally totally get it i i feel like i my upbringing as an american um here here in the states was was different but i i just feel like um in some respects, there was some similar things like being being doted on by our grandparents and all that. And just, I I feel that even if you you don't specifically know what someone's gone through, and you really can't. My grandmother had a saying: "Walk a mile in my moccasins." I think you. It's hard sometimes to walk a mile in someone's shoes, but it's worthwhile to worthwhile to try and understand and i the, and i feel for you with the with the bullies because uh, there was certainly bullying when i was growing up and so and i think that's something that we all have to overcome and learn how to stand up for ourselves and i just take my hats off to you hat off to you uh angels with dirty faces I can understand. I think you're right. The next two years, it's going to be it's going to be a big problem for these kids as well. It's gone full circle again, hasn't it? I mean, my my lad's been bullied at school over the last year. You know, and now the experiences I've gone through as a, as a father now, you know, I'm, I'm you know I'm doing my utmost to you know, I'll, I'll do my utmost utmost to keep him out of that 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 world. You know what I mean? And and try to be a good dad because my experiences, I think I can be. A, a better father. Right. And that's the takeaway, isn't it? That, the, yeah. the, that yeah. some people say, oh, I had it tough. Therefore, you have, have to have a tough as, as, as parents. But I think some, some parents say that. But most parents, I think, want their kids to 
kids' experiences and kids' lives to be better than what they always yeah, were. Yeah, that's into. right. That's right. So we 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 are plus experiences and our, our knowledge and our experience. We can be better. We can we can be better fathers, better parents, and then moving them away from this. You know, and make sure they don't go through the same experiences. Make sure they're okay in life. So, you know, that's that's a good thing to come out of it. You know, I'll do my utmost to make sure my son don't go through half the half the stuff that we went through. And you know what, Gary? Uh, just having him understand a father, have a father who understands, having that support, having that uh, empathy, and just saying, "Hey, I get you." That's everything to a kid because they do want to, they want structure, but they also want to feel understood. Yeah, that's right. That's right. And, you know, we'll do our utmost to make sure they're okay. And they, they, you know, they get a good start in life and they don't go down the wrong path, you know, don't go down the path I went. So. So there we have it, listeners. There we have it. I think that's a very fitting way to bring together um, this this first chapter, this first part, this first interview. Kristen, immense gratitude for playing your part in asking questions and being, uh, I won't say the referee in between me and Gary, because it wasn't that kind of, uh, you know, that share, but, you know, giving us the opportunity. I didn't have to red card you. I didn't yeah. have to red card you. But to give us that opportunity to express, you know, and hopefully people listening to this or as well as getting a bit of nostalgia about it, about the good old days, you know, turning the clock back. There's some lessons in there. There's some lessons in there. So I think that leads us nicely to kind of close it out here and um, wait for the next chapter, which we're going to start diving in chapter two around identity. So watch this space, listeners, and all that remains now is for me to sign off by saying, remember, the world's changing. And ask the question, how will you respond? Thanks very much for listening to this World Game Changers podcast episode. Hopefully you found it interesting and helpful. Drop a line to paul at worldgamechangers.org with any thoughts or questions you may have, and he'll be more than happy to respond. Remember, the world's changing. How will you respond?